This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great, great to have. Yeah, you know, I got to say there's a lot more people here, and I thought everybody would be sleeping in after the raucous night last night. So pretty much when you look around, you're looking around at everybody who wasn't there last night when you look at the audience. Great to have all of you here. How much fun was that? Uh, yeah, just a great night. So this series, because we have a lot of first-time people, it's a series we're doing called Rolling Up Your Sleeves. And, and there's this old word that goes around a lot of religious circles called repentance. And usually most people, when you talk about repentance, evil, or sin, they all of a sudden have this, they break out in hives. They, they get all nervous and anxious. And what I want to do is sort of take the anxiety away. Talk about it in a way so that we can actually gain some power over those things we struggle with. And this is why it's important. As many of you know, you know, I spent years and years in, the, in both public education and private education as a, as a secondary school social studies teacher. Taught a lot of American history. And as well as was an administrator. And I can remember working with this young, with this one young man who shall remain nameless. And, you know, I, we had caught him drinking. Like, every, he, it was so obvious that he had been drinking. We didn't breathalyze him or anything like that. Like, we had caught him. He was dead to rights. And of course, any teenage boy, you ask him, have you been drinking? His answer, please say it loud, is going to be, no, no, no. who, me? So I gave him my stock speech. My stock speech was this. This is what teenage boys do. They first, they deny, then they minimize. In other words, I had a sip or it was mouthwash. Yeah, right. Deny, minimize, deflect. How come you didn't get so-and-so? And then finally admit. So my stock speech was, these are the four things you're going to do. Could we please just go to admission? <laughs> this guy would not break. I mean, we got out the Gestapo lights. We did everything. He wouldn't break. He wasn't giving up his buddies. And he wasn't giving himself up. So just took a breath. Okay, we can't really do anything. That's, that's kind of on him. And then fast forward several months later. What we did every year when I was a housing administration is at the end of the year, we'd gather all the boys and it was cleanup time, you know, time for them to, to say where they'd sort of let each other down or let us down. So we could really be clean about it. Like, just, I don't want to carry this around the rest of my life. Like, here it is. I just want to share this. So we, we do this meeting. He doesn't say anything. And then he, then, you know, like, like half an hour later, little knock on the door. Mr. Blair, I have something to tell you. Now, of course, in my mind, I'm going, really? <laughs> Not the right response. I said, what is it? What is it? So he, he told me. Now, now here's, here's the point of all that, folks. I love that kid. I love that kid to this day. If I do his wedding, I will mention that story. And I still love this kid to this day. I love him. Did he actually need to apologize for me? Did I need the apology? Say yes or no. No, I didn't need the apology. Did he need to do that? Yes. See, ready for this, God's crazy about all of you. He is nuts about every single one of you, from the youngest sitting right down here to the oldest sitting right back there. He's nuts about all of you. New church theology starts with this basic bit, like like God created it. It's all good. There's original blessing, not original sin. And yes, we make mistakes that where sin comes in. But, but this is about how do we get our life right because it will help us. It's not some transaction we need to have with a mean and angry God. It's, it's something where God is saying, look, I want you to live in this full life. And to do that, 
There's certain work that you need to do to help come around. And we all are coming in here with work that we need to do. Some of us very hard, very difficult work, but we're all coming in here with work. So the basic paradigm we've been looking at is sort of a three-tiered one here. We look at our system, we look at our sin, and quote what our devil is. Our system, that's where we looked last week, our system, and I used two words. First word was blind, the second word was spot. We looked at our blind spots. Like, there's certain things we just don't see. And, And, you know, it's just, it's interesting, right? Like, like you look through the newspaper and you see all kinds of people who get into these crazy scenarios just because they refuse to see what's going on. Uh, what movie won the Academy Award for Best Picture this year? Anybody know? Movie Spotlight, right? A movie all about that. All about, like, uh, you know, the, the struggles in a church with, with really seeing things for the way they are. And when we're blind to certain things, that will lead to sin. And and here, from a new church angle, we don't think of sin as a stain. We think of it as a wound, as as something that creates a lot of pain. And you have to see it this way. God's greatest commandment, he's so clear about this in the New Testament, is the commandment to love. Love one another as I have loved you. Love each other. Sin is what gets in the way of that love. Love. So what sin is, is is what damages relationships, relationships with other people, relationships with God. It's what we need to pay close attention to. And all of us have that. All of us have those things, those, those behaviors that actually break our ability to relate to other people. It might be anger. It might be lust. It might be avarice. It might be any number of things. And it breaks our ability to relate to other people. So we need to look at it so that we can relate better and become more loving people. Not about having a guilt trip so I can create some cosmic transaction with God where I get saved, rest of the world, who cares? It's not what it's about. Ready for this? It's about freedom. It's about freedom. Your freedom. Your freedom to be exactly who God intended you to be. The freedom to take those most broken and painful parts of your life and to find some form of healing. Healing, curing, two different things. But to find some form of healing that can help you to move forward in your life. That's what this is all about. Now, it's interesting. One of the things I love about the Bible again and again when you read it is you realize all the people in the Bible are so messed up. It just makes it such a great book. You know, a lot of people, they don't read the Bible because they think it's superhero stuff. It's not. It's Joe Bagadona, you messed up stuff. Very common stuff these people are saying. And of course, in the language of the time, you know, the language sometimes is a little hard to navigate through, but then you peel away the language, you realize the messages are very true. So I'm going to read one here, and then after I read it, we're going to put a key quote up. Uh, and I want you to listen to this, and just listen to the human parts of this. This is Paul. This is the book of Romans. This is after Christ has passed. Paul's out. He's trying to spread the church. So he's talking about the way he has come to learn to see sin. So he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. I don't understand what I do. For what I, listen to this line. This is beautiful. And this is one we're going to come back to look at. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. How many of us do that? You know, we do exactly what we hate to do. And I do what I do not want to do. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no stronger. It's no longer I myself who do it. 
It is the sin living within me. Here he's saying sin. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. In other words, here's this beautiful differentiation. He's saying there's me and then there's this shadow self, this, this part that's constantly making, making mistakes. I want to address that. Folks, how many of you, you know, when you apologize to your partner after you've yelled, you know, you've said, sorry, honey, I just, I don't know what came over me. I just wasn't myself. We've used that phrase. That's what this is talking about here. Uh, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So in the shadow part, there's really nothing there. In the new church, we call that the old will. The old will, there just isn't anything there for us. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I, what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. That evil I want to do, that's what I keep on doing. It makes perfect sense. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who am doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. A beautiful line here, folks. And look at this. This is just good stuff. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And just think about that thing. You know, that we just like, ah, I always hate it when I lose my temper. You know, it's like, and I, it's so painful. Because the first saying that comes to my mind is you can't unscramble the egg. <laughs> You know, once you've really kind of blown it with somebody, it's, it's a hard relationship to patch back up. I, I hate when I do that. I, I have numerous, I have a whole list of things, and I imagine you do too, and fortunately you're going to get to share those today as we take a look at that. And when we look at this line, we have to understand sort of that, that, that bifurcated nature that Paul is talking about. He said, there's this part of me that just constantly is messing up. Then there's this other part that's that's the real me, the true me. And that gets into this concept, and it's a really interesting one. Compulsion being greater than our intention. We all have a part in our life where we are deeply compulsive. Deeply, deeply compulsive. And this is how my racket went this morning. I love French cooler, cooler donuts from Dunkin' Donuts, right? So Angela always buys one of them. Don't eat it. She always buys one of them for the volunteers. So, so I, I come into church in the morning. The way my racket goes, I, I come in, I should not eat donuts. And what I think to myself is I think, you know what? I worked really hard at the auction last night. Which actually isn't true. Angela worked really hard at the auction last night. <laughs> What I did is I worked really hard at eating Dean's Great Cooking is what I worked hard at. And, and so what I do is that I, I go over and I look at the donut, and I go, yep, I deserve that, but restraint. So I cut it in half. So I eat half the donut, I come back five minutes later, and guess what I do? I eat the other half of the donut. See, that's, I think, what we do. We have this compulsive nature, but then on the flip of it is we also have these beautiful intentions. All of you in this room, like none of you woke up today. This is really clear. None of you woke up today. No matter what happened in the car coming to church, no matter the threats you had to give your kids to get them to church, nobody woke up this morning going, I want to be a jerk today. Nobody does that. We all wake up with a good intention. Now, sometimes it's a little bit more asleep. Sometimes it goes asleep really fast. But we all wake up with that basic, that good intention. And yet, our compulsive nature can come to trump that. You know, the compulsive need to be right, the compulsive pull to anger, the compulsive, the compulsive, the compulsive. And then our good intention over here can kind of get lost in the shuffle. 
Now, how is it that compulsion works? Well, I kind of think of it like this. You know, compulsion, we've all heard people in, in a lot of circles will talk about a God-shaped hole, right? So we have what we imagine to be a God-shaped hole in our life, some, some place where we feel empty. So what we do is we start filling it in. It first might be a teaspoon. Like, I'll just do a little bit of this. Like, all, all serious compulsions started pretty small. And then what we do, because a shovel, I mean, a spoon isn't good enough, we pick up a shovel and we start shoveling in. But that doesn't seem to quite work either, no matter how fast we shovel. So we do this. So just how much can we like, how much, how much, how much, how much, how much? Now, now folks, we live, we live in an entertainment culture. Now I got a whole sermon series on that. Yuck, right? A whole entertainment culture that we can just continue to like binge and binge and binge and binge and binge on stuff that actually feeds that compulsive nature that we have. So we need to be really careful with this. We need to be really careful. And that careful part starts here. Walter Brueggemann, great quote. He said this. He said, churches, churches may not always be the happiest places on the earth, but they should always be the most honest. Isn't that beautiful? should always be this place where we have honesty about our lives. So what I want you to do is I'm going to give you a chance here to share where you might be seeing that. Like, like for me, I was thinking one of my rackets, you know, is this. You know, like, and I mean this literally, and I have lots of worse stuff than this. You know, I talk about food a lot because I want to kind of keep it. I want you to still like me at the end of the service, and food's kind of a benign one. You know, like, literally, every time I drive past McDonald's, there's a little voice, and thankfully I've learned to listen to it less. There's a little voice that goes, Chuck, you deserve extra value meal number six. You do. You've been a very good pastor this week. Constantly, constantly doing that. And I'm sure you have the same thing. You drive past and it's like, yep, I'm right in there. Or maybe something on TV you watch, you know, whatever it is. You know, I'm asking you to, to think about that and to answer this question. Take a look at this question. What is that place for you where compulsion, cravings, or say there's the J and the B word, or can we say it really loud? Justified binging takes over. Where does it kind of take over your life? You are welcome. We have a lot of first-timers here. This is where we use our phones. You're welcome to text in an answer to me. You're also welcome to just share that with a neighbor. All right? So please take 60 seconds and do that. All right, folks. As, As the band comes out here, I want to assure the audience, we have an extremely compulsive congregation. There were some great answers in there from Doritos to checking the work phone uh, to all kinds, to Chick-fil-A, to Netflix, to all kinds of stuff. Those are great. And let's, we're going to talk about them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write them out on a, on a piece of paper, the ones that come in. I'm going to bring them out talk. Don't worry, I'm not going to put your name and your phone number by, the, by your compulsion. Just to share with you, yeah, what is this like? Because we all do battle these constant cravings. Constant cravings all the time. The question isn't like, well, how do I get rid of that? Because I don't think you're going to have much luck. The question is, how do you handle it? Again, tensions we manage, problems we solve. And this is something we can manage, even if we can't quite solve it. So here's, here's partially the list here that we had. So these are some things people struggle with here. I... 
you know, the pass, passing a state store, Dunkin' Donuts, working out. This one amazes me that anyone gets obsessed about working out too much. That is just, what is wrong with you? Uh, work phone, negative emotion. That's a good one. Like, that can become sort of an addiction, a, a sin. Isn't that interesting? Like, again, we, we tend to think of, of sin a, a certain way, right? Like, um, I, I remember the most, are you guys ready for this? What is the most confessed sin in church circles? Anybody know? The one that most people confess to pastors and priests, that they didn't go to church. That, you know, I, I hope you go to church, and I hope you feel really exceptionally guilty if you don't. But, uh, you know, it's like really, on the scale of things, it just, you know, come on, people. So, negative emotion, that's a great one. Scrolling the internet, that's a big one. Brewer's ice cream, this is somebody who struggles with Brewer's cherry ice cream. Uh, self-righteousness, boy, I get that one. Uh, Netflix, another exercise freak. Uh, uh, 5 p.m., this was a good one, 5 p.m. on Friday, right? 5 p.m. on Friday. That can become its own sort of compulsive bet, just like, I just can't wait to get out of here. It comes all about getting out. Uh, and the last one, Facebook, and there were a bunch more, and thank you folks for, for sharing that stuff. That's, that's really good. And, and you know, and again, like, I, I think with all this, we want to see that, that, you know, we all struggle with different parts. You know, again, I don't struggle with the working out one, but I sure do struggle with the Dunkin' Donuts one. And I'm sure the person who, who struggles with working out probably doesn't struggle with the Dunkin' Donuts. So this is, this is a sort of a tapestry. Because this quote from the Bible is so clear. And I'm going to have you folks say the last four words there really loud. Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we kind of look at that, I think, a lot of the time as a classroom setting. So in other words, if I go to class and I learn the right stuff, then I've got it. And that's, there is something true to that. But I think there's also something here. Something here in saying, yeah, know the truth. Know the score. Know what's going on in your life. Because if you can really know that, this is sort of the, the way to get free from it. We can't get free from what we're unwilling to talk about. What we're unwilling to see in our lives and to work out. Now, as we look at this, knowing the truth and the truth shall make you free, the significance of that is, is important because what we can do, if we really start to understand what's true, we can start to flip a couple of things. So instead of having our compulsions greater than our intentions, this is what starts to happen. Our intention actually starts to outgrow our compulsion. So we all have this good intention. And I think so much of what we want to do is we want to, we want to actually start to give more weight to our best intentions. If you are somebody who's really struggling, really struggling with a certain compulsive behavior that's become addictive, please get 12-step help. Please get 12-step help. We can't solve an issue over that kind of addictive compulsion in, in simply one service. I wish I could, but, but that's not what church really offers. What we offer is kind of direction, like this is the way to go. So I'd urge you, like, get 12-step help. This statement is more about how do we take a step back and maybe see it in a greater paradigm, a greater way to hold it that maybe can take away some of the ouch and maybe just allow you to breathe, just to breathe. Let's go, okay, I got this piece. I struggle with it all the time. I get it. I struggle. I struggle. I struggle. I get it. God still loves me. God still loves me. How can I maybe hold this a little bit differently? 
Now, what we're going to do here, folks, is Luke's actually going to come around with the microphone. And what I'd love for you to do is we're going to do a number of people here. And this is what I'd love for you to volunteer from the audience, for people to volunteer answers for. I believe every single one of you has a best intention somewhere with something. Uh, you know, we were talking out there in our, in our volunteer meeting, and, and one of our wonderful volunteers said her and her husband, their intention was to create this beautiful garden spot in their yard where they could have it sort of as a communal space. You know, I have the intention to really, I really want to be a good pastor to you folks. I wake up really wanting to do that. I'm not successful that often, but it's what I really want to do. It is my best intention. I'm clear about that. So I'd love people to raise their hand and to say, yeah, this is my best intention. Luke's going to be coming around. Luke, in the, it's right on the, the uh, stand in there. Luke's going to be coming around. So just raise your hand and think what it is. And as you speak, just the microphone goes, just so you know, goes about fist, fist length away from your mouth. So just be brave. Raise your hand. Internet audience, you can text in an answer to me. So who would like to share that with us first? Luke, and if no one volunteers, you may volunteer people too. Are we good? Yes. Uh, Mine would probably be working with a memory impaired for whatever the numerous reasons that comes about. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, mine is to uh, do the best that I can every day. Excellent. That's simple. Like, I just do the best I can today. Just today. Thank you. Mine is to uh, work with um, youth sports to help um, build leadership. That's great. Use sports and leadership. And by the way, folks, I can't really see you. So if I'm looking over here, but you're really seated over there, don't take it personally. Use sports leadership. That's a great one. You know, and that idea of like what, what we can teach kids in those kind of lessons. Beautiful. Next. Give back all that I was freely given. Give back all I was freely given. Like here's one. Here's one for you. The only thing we take to the next life is what we've given in this one. And that idea that what we receive, we can pass on. Beautiful. Thank you. I'd like to teach the parallels between music and spirituality. Yeah, Marcus will be really good at that. You know, that idea like like that music, you know, there's a musicality to the spheres. A little piece of new church theology is is an interesting one. Is in new church theology, one of the first things you learn when you're an angel is how to sing in a choir, which I think is beautiful. That idea like there is this parallel between the two, between music and, and what our spiritual lives are like. Great. To be supportive of all my children in a kind of equal way. Mm, that's so good. So supportive of all the, all her children in an equal way. Beautiful. All right, let's go for a last one here, Luke. I have a little prayer that I do every day, and it's where I pray to be the best daughter, student, and friend that I can be for that day. That's good. For that day. Beautiful. Give everyone a round of applause, folks. You see how beautiful that, listen to that stuff. Listen to that. Was that good? Please say yes. 
Yeah, that was really good. And all of you, I mean, we could go around to all of you. All of you harbor those things. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Now, now here's a little piece of new churchology. We believe that is part of God's voice with you. Like some people are like, well, I want to hear God. You just did. You just heard God moving in this church. You just heard what God is up to. That should give you chills. Because yes, we have our compulsions. We do. Got it. And we also have this other part that's just amazingly striking, amazingly beautiful. And sometimes, even at places like professional tennis matches, the Australian Open, those very best intentions, our best selves actually can win. Take a look at this video. Expect Jack Sock a lot faster on his fastest forehand hit, 163 kilometers an hour. Fault. Oh, <laughs> Oh, this is great. He is challenging. He goes, he goes with the point anyway. All right, challenge uh, left here for the point. Ross Ramos is going the through the motions. Out. Good sport, Jack Sock. Well, this better be in. <laughs> Otherwise, he's going to look like a goose. I think he's confident and he knows it's in. Let's see the result, and it is in. Don't you love that? Good on you, Jack. So sometimes even those best, even those best intentions really do actually work. So, so what can we do, folks? Like, what can we do about it? Well, I want to share something with you, and then I want to talk about how this can change our lives. It's just a simple prayer, folks. Simple, simple prayer. This is one if you have a camera, uh, camera, all of you have camera phones. I take a picture of this. I think where we can start, this is how I try to pray every night. And not that I have it all right, but I think this is important. I start out with what I'm grateful for. So it starts with original blessing, not with original sin. See, if God wanted it to start with original sin, guess where he would have started the book? <laughs> original sin. It's not where he started it. Started it with original blessing. So I look at my, what I'm grateful for, for the day. And by the way, yesterday, when I was praying last night, it was you guys, just so you know. Grateful for, and then what am I sorry for? Like, where did I kind of blow it during the day? You know, inevitably, over the course of a day, I'll say a few things that just are like, yeah, I wish I hadn't said that, or wish I'd done that differently, or boy, I really blew it there. So what am I sorry for? And then I try to end, and this is very similar to what the young lady down here shared. I try to end with what's my intention. My intention comes down to the question, can we all say the question together, folks? How can I serve? Or you could say, who can I serve? Like, Lord, take this best intention. So, so we had one young man talk about like the intention to work with those with Alzheimer's, memory impaired. Okay, Lord, like how, how can I work on that intention a little bit today? How can I work on that intention to help kids understand more leadership things through sports? How can I work on that intention today? 
Lord, how can I make sure that all my kids equally know I love them all. I love them all to pieces. Help me work on that intention a little bit today. Now, folks, yes, no answer. Are you going to do that perfectly? No. So give yourself a break. Progress, not perfection. It's just about setting the intention and doing the best we can with it. And then what starts to happen? Well, this is a little bit esoteric, but I, but I think you folks can get it because this is such an incredibly brilliant audience. Is, uh, you know, we, we talk about the God-shaped hole, right? And it's an analogy you hear a lot. Like addiction is about trying to fill that God-shaped hole. And I, th- I think there's a time in our life where we can go like, okay, there is this God-shaped hole and I, I want God to fill it. And, and I want to kind of offer some of this is going to sound strange. I, I hope none of you like run out of here screaming. This can be tricky though when you hold it that way. And I just want to say why. And, I, and again, like if you hold it that way, fine, I get it. I, this is just like a little bit of a red flag to me off on the side. Maybe even the idea, and I think New Church Theology would say this, maybe even the idea that there's a hole, maybe even there's an idea of that is an illusion. Maybe that just isn't quite the way it really works. Maybe God is the ground of our being. Because what I mean by that, if, if, if I feel like there's part of me missing, right, that, that you know, I, I'm just, I'm a half a person. That's why I don't like the line, you complete me, you know, or any of that stuff. You know, if, if I believe that, so I get into addictive behaviors that, that try to sort of stuff that, that part where I feel like I'm incomplete. And this may sound strange, but God, even God can become an addiction, even God can become like Dunkin' Donuts. So, yeah, that was good. So, 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 so you know, how that, how that works for me is sometimes, you know, with, with, with working as a pastor, people will come in and they are just, they are red hot for faith. Like they're just, they're just, uh, the first day they come to church and they come about, they're re- baptize me now. I'm ready. I'm going to come to church every week. I'm starting to read the Bible for six hours a day starting tomorrow. You know, it's like it's red, red, red hot. The problem with red, red, red hot is that it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you've crumpled up newspaper, thrown a bunch of lighter fluid on it, and, and thrown a match. Well, it's going to burn really bright, but do you want to cook on it? No. And so those same people oftentimes come so red hot that when that doesn't work, guess what they do with the whole religious enterprise? They throw it out. Well, Dunkin' Donuts didn't work. God didn't work. (laughs) Now what works? I think there's a different way to hold this, and it's subtle, and and I just, I want to be careful with language here. There's a subtle way to hold it. And that's if we can listen to these words here, folks. Just close your eyes for this sentence. God as the ground of your being. God as the ground of your being. I'll say that one more time. God as the ground of your being. That, that actually the ground level, like the very existence that we have, the blessings and the breakings, the lightness and the dark, God's part of that and he is the ground of our being. And his heart breaks with us when we go through unimaginable tragedies that we all do. God is with us in that. He's the ground of our being. So I want to move over here, and I want to talk about that a little bit and, and, and talk about the richness of this struggle. So if we hold kind of God as the ground of our being and this idea of intention and compulsion, 
I want to talk about how these two things can kind of match and, and how we can kind of see it. Because, because the idea that we're going to get rid of our compulsive behavior, again, probably not going to happen. The idea that we can take some of our best intentions and continue to move those forward, pretty good, pretty good chance that's going to happen. Now, I'm going to have the audience identify. What is this? This is a, a juice box, a simple juice box. So I want to tell you a story about a juice box from this week, from this week. So what happened is, is a number of us were down in Philadelphia, down in, uh, down in Kensington, passing out lunches, as we often do. And uh, we had juice boxes with, uh, you know, that we were giving to people. And uh, one, young, one young man, Mary, what was his name? Mary Haney in here? She's taking the day off. I think Mary said his name was... Okay, fair enough. We'll say the young man who Mary can't remember his name. And so what happened is, is we passed these lunches. Now, these people are homeless, and, and they're, they're addicted. Most of them addicted to heroin, though I don't know exactly their, their addictions. So, so we see people here in the midst, in the very, very claws of deeply compulsive behavior. You know, folks, like, like just imagine, you know, like, here you are, you're, you're, you're a young adult, you've had a life a certain way. Many of these people come from very similar backgrounds to people here in this audience, you know, some of you, actually, I know some of our parishioners have traveled this path as well. Um, and, and you're just, you're in the clutches of this. You know, think about Paul's words. Like, does that make sense? Like, why am I doing what I hate to do? Think about that. No addict has ever told me they love being an addict, ever. Ever. Talked about being powerless, talked about sadness, talked about frustration, talked about anger, talked about like just, I just can't even, don't even know what to do. I've heard all that. I've never heard, Chuck, this was the best thing in my life. This really works well for me. That isn't how it works. So here we have on one hand this, this young man, and again, like in the, in the really throes of compulsive behavior, that have actually taken away his freedom. He can't not do that anymore. That's the sin. And yet, healing can take place. So what happens is Kelly, who's with our group, she passes him a lunch with a juice box. He talks about how thirsty he was, how much he wanted something to drink. And then he starts fumbling with getting the straw. Now, how many of us fumble with getting the straw into these dang things anyways? He can't, he can't quite get the straw in. So what, what Kelly does is Kelly picks it up, puts the straw in the drink for him. Real simple. Simple act, right? I can't believe I actually pulled that off. You know, puts, puts the, 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 the straw in. The young man fills up with tears. And he says this. He says, I didn't know anyone cared. I didn't know anyone cared. A very simple act. But do you see, folks, the good intention there? Do you see what can happen is, is even in the midst of, of these deeply compulsive behaviors that are so hard to control, we can still bring our best intentions to heal, to serve, to do the best we can in those environments, and even something like putting a straw in a little juice box can start to heal the whole world in some way. 
That's very different than making this sort of a private salvation project where I need to fill up my hole. It becomes an outward looking thing where where God is the ground of our being, where we're able to hold like our best intentions, compulsive behaviors in others and in ourselves. And we're able to pray for healing right there in those moments. And then we're able to observe the richness of the struggle. The richness of the struggle. Because it is rich. This is where we learn. So I want to show you a video now to close the service. And and just look at this video and just think about the richness of the struggle he's talking about. And it's not a perfect analogy to what we're talking about, but it is about the richness of the struggle. And it's about what he has observed about human nature coming out of that very richness, that tension, that beautiful tension as we continue to find our way home. Take a look at this video. By the time I was 14, I was completely dropped out of high school and, for the most part, homeless. My education came from observing what was happening around me and observing that richness that comes with struggle. I was always looking for a way to translate what I was seeing around me and photography became my voice in this big, very confusing world. And that was, that was the beginning. I think adventure is anything that puts us outside our comfort zone. In my world, that has always been going into the mountains. In 2010, 2011, I went to Pakistan to climb in the Himalayan winter. We did the first ascent of Gashabram 2, an 8,000 meter peak in the Karakoram Himalaya. And that trip changed my life forever. On the descent, we were hit by an avalanche that nearly killed all three of us. When I realized that I had not died, I turned a camera on myself and took an image. And that image ended up being put on the cover of National Geographic. There was no way of knowing at the time that that image that was really just my way of dealing with stress was going to push my life in such a dramatic direction towards telling that larger story of, of what it means to hurt and what it means to triumph and what it means to, to be human. I've never been comfortable in the place that I'm in. I can't stop and sit. It's a constant engine that just keeps driving me towards the things that are unknown to me. It doesn't matter if I can't feel my fingers. It doesn't matter how my face stings and literally feels like it's getting sandblasted. What matters is that somebody else can feel that by looking at a picture. I've been to all seven continents. I've witnessed sunrise over the highest mountains in the world. Polar bears standing on the last piece of ice on the farthest north piece of land in the Eurasian continent. And faces, I've seen faces that are just years and years of history, all wrapped into one single expression. 
I think intimacy is the linchpin to all great photography. The most important tool for connecting with anybody that you're photographing is being able to make somebody laugh. You're not that much older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just give them that moment, all of a sudden you have a friend for life. And the whole world opens up. My job is to communicate a real, raw, visceral experience. And despite the seriousness of all of this, and despite the fact that we are facing massive problems as a human family, we're still experiencing each other and loving and having a ton of fun. I mean, life is fun. This started as a way for me to communicate what I was experiencing. And what it's become is a way for me to communicate what we are experiencing. Beautiful, right? You know, and the richness of the struggle, the richness of the struggle, what we, what we are experiencing. So takeaway is pretty simple. A little less Dunkin' Donuts, a little more juice bucks. You know, like really think about what's your best intention and how do you give some breath to that? And knowing what your compulsions are, be upfront about them. Be prayerful. Again, the richness of the struggle. Because this is life, folks. This is where, again, these can become some of our greatest teachers as they point us to what we value and care about the most. The way we're going to close today's service is I'm going to be, we're going to be joined by my dear friend, Reverend Rich Toffel from Washington, D.C., who's going to offer our closing prayer here today. Then after Rich finishes, you'll have a moment of quiet reflection to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it or just to simply have a moment of meditation as we close today's service. So if we give a round of applause to Rich as he comes up. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much, Chuck, for allowing me to participate in your worship service today. It was beautiful. Um, it's been a, a challenging week. I grew up in the area um, in Bucks County, and two weeks ago, my parents were hit on Street Road uh, in a very bad car accident. My dad arrived at St. Mary's without a pulse, and so for the last two weeks, they were in ICU, the hospital, and now they are at Christ Home in rehabilitation. So it's been an amazing, miraculous week. I've always wanted to come and worship with you because I'm preaching in Washington. I never had the chance. So this was a silver lining and otherwise a tough week. So I'm going to uh, raise my family up in prayer, and I hope you will too. Let us pray. God of love and truth, we come to you today in gratitude. In gratitude for parents and brothers and sisters and family and your love. We, come, for, we uh, come to you in gratitude for the hospitality that you give us in this space, that you welcome us. We come to you in gratitude for the leadership of Chuck and his love for all the people that are here and watching, and as this ministry grows, the impact it could have around the world. 
we come to you in gratitude that you and your angels are with us as we seek to follow our better angels against our binges and to be our better selves as we constantly seek to transform and regenerate toward our best self. We ask that you continue to bless this ministry that it could serve not just this community, but far beyond transforming the church around the world. And we ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.